0: Peace be with you. Hey, welcome to Sojourn. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Marshall. Uh, I am one of the pastors for Sojourn Houston at large. Um, Heights was a home for me for a couple of years before planting Sojourn Montrose, uh, six years ago now. Um, and fun, fun tidbit, fun fact, um, six years ago to the day, um, I was on this stage being ordained for that task. Um, And so praise God for all that He's done in my own life the last six years that I'm still here, alive, breathing. Uh, I'm thankful for that, but also still engaged in this ministry with you, uh, alongside you. Um, I'm thankful now to serve in in a capacity where where I serve our broader church planting efforts. Um, So I'm the pastor of church planting, if we want to go by uh, official titles. Um, but again, it's a, it's a joy to be with you. I say this every time I come. It does feel like being back home uh, in a lot of different ways. And so whether it's familiar faces uh, or just even this room uh, where many prayers have been said, um, many spiritual bottles fat, uh, fought, and I believe uh, even won uh, in these In these four walls. And so, uh, again, it's a a pleasure to be with you. Um, If you're a guest, I just want to say welcome to you. Uh, Glad that you're here. I'm not normally here, so my job actually um, is to make you pine for your regular pastors. And so, uh, (laughs) I am not as eloquent as Drew Knowles. I'm not as uh, emotionally intelligent as Dodds Pengra. I'm not as sort of um, uh, well thought out and planned out as a Brandon Barker, uh, and at the same time, my hope is um, that what I believe it was George Whitfield said is true, which is that there are other men uh, who may preach the gospel better than me, um, but there is no man that preaches a better gospel. Um, and so, we're going to jump into Jude this morning. Um, it's going to be a flyover. We're going to actually probably hear more of God's Word than me talking this morning, which I like, um, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, we, we read a portion of it, but it's just one page uh, among thousands in these uh, words that God has given us. And yet, um, in the words of Origen, uh, who was one of our early church fathers, uh, he said this, "'Jude wrote an epistle consisting of few lines indeed, but filled with the vigorous words of heavenly grace.'" And so my only hope this morning is that we'd be satisfied, satiated, filled to the brim with heavenly grace. So let's pray and ask the Lord to do that, and then we'll jump into Jude. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, Lord, we're grateful to be gathered together as your people called by your name. And Lord, we know that you intend for your people to be a holy people, A distinct people set apart, different from the world around us. And yet, Father, we are also keenly aware that we, in and of ourselves, are powerless to bring that change to make ourselves distinct, to make ourselves different. We know, Lord, that you intend to transform your people from one degree of glory to the next. And we know at the same time, God, that that is work that only you can accomplish by the power of your spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be among us this morning, that it would be teaching us, that it would be shaping us, molding us into everything that you intend for us to be so that in this time, in this place, you might have a people for your own possession, a people who in our words and in our lives declare the excellencies of you, our glorious and most merciful God. So, Lord, do that work this morning that only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, it's, yeah, like I said, we're just going to walk through it. It's going to be very informal. We're going to go verse by verse, and it's going to be hopefully uh, helpful and good. Um, there's a lot of context that leads us ultimately up to those final verses of the passage uh, that Kyle read for us. And so we're going we're gonna to race through that to get to there. But starting in verse one, it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to who? To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. What a beginning, right? Jude, a servant of Christ and brother of James. Now, there's a, this is just a total side note, um, but I had to include it. Um, what we might miss here is that James is Jesus' brother. So what that means is that Jude being James's brother means he's also Jesus' brother. And this is one of the many reasons that I believe Jesus to be the real deal, because there aren't many brothers that I know that would be willing to crown their homeless brother king of the universe and then call themselves his servant. Just saying. Moving right along. But he's writing to those who are called, to those who are beloved, to those who are kept. All of those things, wonderful comforts to us this morning, right? If we're here and we are in Christ, we've called upon His name for salvation, we're relying upon His broken body and shed blood on the cross, His victorious resurrection in defeat of our sin and death, and His glorious ascension to the right hand of the Father to reign and rule over all of creation for all of time. If, if that is us this morning, then we have been called to that. He's called us into His presence. He is called us to be, in Jude's words, beloved by God. He's called us to His own love. And He will keep us there for the sake of the sufficient and good and glorious work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And because we're called and because we're kept and because we're beloved by this glorious, almighty God, Jude says, according to that, according to that truth, according to that reality, according to your station, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Multiplied. May God's mercy, may God's peace, may God's love be multiplied to us. Man, that feels good. Good. It feels good to read this morning. It feels good to be reminded of those things this morning. And it feels good to know that everything that Jude is about to say, everything that he's about to write, is in fact, by virtue of those two verses, not just written to those whom he was writing to in this historical moment, but is also written to and for us. So let's keep reading. Verse 3, Beloved... Though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but Those two verses compared to verse 1 and verse 2 are like a proverbial e-brake, right? You can feel the screech in the tires. You can feel the turning of the wheel. You can feel the gravity turning you about face. All of the wonder and the glory and the joy and the peace, mercy, and love of being called, kept, and beloved are all of a sudden... Turned into this present reality, what just happened it's like it 's like Jude kept the intro into what we now know was going to be his first letter and just kept writing because he didn 't want to start a new papyrus. But what does he say? He feels an urgent need to write to this group of Christians, to those who are called, to those who are kept, to those who are beloved, by God, kept for Jesus Christ. To make them aware that there's one faith, that it's been once delivered, and that this is, in fact, something worth contending for. It is a hill, proverbially, worth dying on, literally. I don't know about about you, but um, we are in an age where it feels like every hill (laughs) is a hill to die on. And the temptation, at least for me, maybe I'm the only one, the the temptation for me is to say, well, I don't want to die on any of the hills. (laughs) And maybe that's just my own personal escapism. Maybe it's my own desire to withdraw. But the reality is there is a hill worth dying on, and I'm thankful that Jude here makes it clear which hill that is, that there is this one faith. That it has been once delivered and that it must be contended for, that we must do battle on that hill. And so, what's the problem? What's really going on? Well, in verse 4, Jude tells us, right, that this gospel, this faith once delivered, this one faith worthy of being contended for is actively being perverted, misused. In order, to Jude says, justify sin. And in so doing, it's not just sort of this this creed, it's not just this theological statement that's being perverted, but it is in fact the very lordship, the master nature of Jesus that is being subverted. How's How's that happening Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And this is where Jude's going to make the link. Those are all from the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar with the Bible very much, that all happened before Jesus. These are all events that he's talking about that took place before Jesus ever set foot on the scene. And yet, Judas saying those moments in Scripture are relevant because they tell us something about God's nature and something about our own nature. And he explains it this way in verse 8. In like manner. So in the same way that in each of those three events, Egypt, the angels in Genesis 6 who come down, And then in Sodom and Gomorrah, in that same manner, these people, so these people, these ungodly people perverting this one faith, denying the lordship of Christ through their life and teaching, in the same way, these people relying on their dreams do what? Three things, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. That one got real confusing, huh? we'll we'll explain. Jude says, in the same way, these ungodly people that have crept in the church, relying on subjective things, relying on subjective things. So, in this case, dreams. There are other things that are subjective. Our feelings, our emotions are one of them. But relying on things that were subjective, these people defile their flesh. This is likely a reference to sexual immorality. They reject authority, likely inside the church, and likely not only the authority of the church itself, but the authority of the written word, Jesus and the apostles, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. And this is complicated and complex, and we could get through sort of all of the nuances, but I'll just just tell you the view that I believe is most likely according to, to the context of this text and the way that we're going to read it this morning. To blaspheme the glorious ones is simply to say that they are quick to dismiss that there is a spiritual, a supernatural realm that operates among us. This is, this is essentially Jude agreeing with Ephesians chapter 6 that, that says we don't fight a war against flesh and blood but that we fight a war in the, the spiritual realm. And so this is saying that they've detached themselves from that, that they're unwilling to acknowledge that there are greater things at work, greater forces of evil and of good at work around us among them. So what? Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand Instinctively, What does Jude say? Jude says that all of these things are instinctual for us. Like that we gravitate towards those things by our instinct. And isn't that ironic? Because so many objections to Christian faith in our time are ones that we would say are objections of reason because I cannot reason God, because I cannot reason his existence, because it's not empirically available to me, well, then it must not be so. And Jude goes on to say, well, actually, all of your reason, because you are human, is unreasonable. Ironic. Keep reading verse 11. Woe to them, For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Again, these are Old Testament references, but verse 12 says this. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in the late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. We're a long way from verse 1 and verse 2. But what is Jude telling us? He's telling us that relying on this inner subjectivity, that giving ourselves over to our own authority is actually to to sail into the harbor with hidden reefs that will sink the ship. It is actually to be led by shepherds that only feed themselves. So not a shepherd, right? Not a shepherd that's going to take care of you, that's going to feed you, that's going to make sure you have what you need around you, going to protect you, but who's just going to feed himself. A waterless cloud a cloud that you would look to for hope and for rain and for sustenance and to grow your crop. It's waterless. A fruitless tree in late autumn, the time when it should be producing the most fruit. And so Jude is only making clear for us what I think is sort of patently obvious throughout. Scripture, which is that when we go our own way, when we make ourselves the authority, we find ourselves shipwrecked, hungry, thirsty, and without sustenance. And so, what's, what's the answer to that? What? Let's keep reading, or what comes of that. It's not only those things. That's our experience in the world, but here's what happens after. Verse 14 it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Un- ungodly's a theme there, huh? These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So listen, it's not only that the life experience of those who follows these, this way, this subjective way, of being their own master, that they experience a life that's characterized by emptiness, destruction, pain. But it's that at the conclusion of that, the Lord comes with 10,000 of His holy ones to execute judgment. So, there is nothing but Destruction at the end of that pathway. So not only is like the pathway not enjoyable, the, the destination is miserable too. So listen, Jude isn't pulling any punches here. God judges people that challenge His authority. God is a judgmental God. He makes judgment We don't as his people, but he does as sovereign of the universe. And so make no mistake this morning, Jesus is a king who will not be challenged. He is making the earth his footstool. All will bend the knee. All will bow. And so the question is, will we submit? Will we give ourselves over to his lordship? Will we release ourselves from the slavery of our own? Sinful desires, ungodliness, brokenness. I just want to bring something quick to our attention before we come to our conclusion. I want us to remember what Jude says because I think it's very easy for us to look at this text, to read through it, To see sort of all of these manifestations of ungodliness and go, yeah. Like, of course, those things are obvious. And yet Jude says that these people crept in to the church. And so what what does that mean? I, I think that means that at first, at least, these people were largely innocuous. Unrecognizable. In fact, there's no mention from Jude of any verbal teaching or of any specific teacher or of any document that he's writing to contradict, right? He's not going point for point against some theological argument. No, in fact, all that we get, all that we get is a mention of how these people are living. Who in here likes DC Talk? Back up. Who in here knows what DC Talk is? Okay, some of you. All right. So, popular Christian recording artists, long time ago. <laughs> um, but um, there's there's a, a, a great song of theirs um, called "What If I Stumble." And at the beginning, at the beginning of that song, there's a there's a, a track of a pastor, fairly prominent pastor, teacher. Um, theologian speaking, and, and it's Brendan Manning, and this is what he says. He says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, whether we agree with the totality of that statement that being the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today. doesn't matter. The point still stands, which is that it is, and Jude is making this clear, it is entirely possible for us with our mouths to say we believe one thing and to with our bodies and with our actions speak very clearly that we believe something else. I like to call it a difference between a theological belief and a functional belief. You can have a theological belief, and yet it's betrayed by your functional beliefs guiding the way you live. And so the trick for Christian living, brothers and sisters, is to make our theological beliefs our functional beliefs, the beliefs that we actually operate from, the beliefs that we actually live out of. And that's ultimately what Jude is calling us into throughout this letter, And that's why he continues in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved. God, it's good to hear that word again. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And so listen, brothers and sisters, whether it's the more insidious, quiet, antichrist in our actions, or whether it's the loud antichrist shouting in the world around us, none of that should be a surprise to any one of us, is what Jude is saying. We were warned, like the apostles told us this, Jesus himself told us this, there will be opposition to his gospel, to this one faith once delivered. And so, what do we do? What do we do in the face of that? Verse 20, you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. Now, some of you who are super type A went, Oh, building up in most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves done. There's my list, right? You've got A, B, and C, and now all you have to do is check that off, right? But if you're more like me, you look at that and you go, oh God, how, how am I going to do that? Keep yourself in the love of God. Now, here's the thing. I, we're going we're gonna to relieve that tension in just a second, but I want to do, what I want to do is call your attention to what it is that he's actually calling us to, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, the temptation is to look at that and go, build myself up, how in the world does that happen? Well, again, when we read the scriptures, it's very clear that God has given us specific tools which, which, with which we are built up, and almost none of them are internal. We have an external word of God that speaks into us, but we also have a community that has been given gifts and brought together so that we together might be built up. And so here's the thing. If you've ever thought that the stakes in here at a time like this, like this morning, are pretty low, they're not. If you've ever thought that the stakes of your presence in your neighborhood parish are low, they're not. Not at all. This is one of the ways that you're, you're built up in your most holy faith, by your presence among the Christian community. And so, listen, if you're in the room this morning and you're doubting and you find it hard, a struggle to come here, I'm not surprised. This is the one place that those spiritual forces that we are quick to dismiss would want you to stay away from because this is the place where your faith will be built up. This is the place where we together pray in the Spirit, asking the Lord to do what only He can do in us, to transform us from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. These things happen together. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now again, I think in all of Jude, there could be a temptation for us to look at everything that's happening and go, man, we really just, like we gotta keep this world thing at at arm's length. And I get that. I understand that instinct. And yet, Jude here is calling us back onto the tightrope. He's calling us to walk this really narrow road where we are absolutely in the world. It's around us. These people are among us. The ungodly are near. They're they're around. They're involved. They're invited. They're, right? And at the same time, we are distinct. We're holy. We're set apart. We don't engage in the same works of ungodliness. That's a hard place to live. And yet we walk that path because we've been shown mercy. And so we extend that same mercy to others. But being sober-minded, being sober-minded about how easy it is for us to be tempted and swayed by sin, Jude just told us that that's our very instinct. Jude concludes this way. Verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And I just want to draw your attention to one one tiny little word, it's four letters, and you've seen it now three times. In the greeting, Jude makes it very clear that if we have been called by God, if we are beloved by God in Christ, then we are kept for Christ. We're kept. That precedes any and all instruction from Jude. We're kept Because God loves us and because he's called us. And yes, there's absolutely things that he's called us to avail ourselves of. His word, the community, the sacrament this morning. All of those things that he's called us to to step into. So that we might keep ourselves as well. But the reminder again. Right at the conclusion. To have those bookends be so very clear that it is him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Like, I don't know if we really understand what he means when he says that. Before the presence of God's glory. If you read in the Old Testament, right, God's glory is not something that you want to show up anywhere. Because most people that witness it end up dead, blind, or some sort of incapacitated. It is that holy. It is that distinct that we, like, we can't even stand in its presence. And yet here, Jude makes it clear that because of Jesus, we are able not only to not stumble, but to be presented blameless in the presence of that self-same glory. That's good news this morning that's good news and so listen if you're not a christian in the room this morning um uh there could be any number of reasons why that's the case um but i think i think a lot of it um could be that you have this view of god in your mind that maybe looks a lot like verses 14 through 16 God of judgment, who makes righteous judgment, who comes to destroy his enemies. And and listen, I'm not trying to abate that. That's true of him. That is who he is. He will make things right. He will be just. He will enact justice. Wherever injustice has prevailed in the past, it will prevail no longer when he returns. Make no mistake about it. And Jesus is this authoritative person. Like, he, he just is. You can't escape it. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis said. He's either, he's, he's either Lord, he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. Which one? Either you don't get an, another option. That's why Jude says, to Jesus be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, which, like, that's that big A word that we don't like, that we are naturally inclined to try to get ourselves out from under. and what what i what I want you to see though is that it's that jesus it's this jesus who who has all dominion all authority all power, all glory, who is reigning and ruling over the universe right now whose authority you will at some point inevitably submit to it's that same Jesus that took upon himself flesh that was made incarnate for you. And then in his earthly ministry said these words, get this, this is crazy. Come to me. I am meek and lowly in heart. Right, so listen, I, I, I don't know about you, again, uh, your experience is, is your own. But when I look around the world today, I don't see a lot of people in authority like that. That's someone that, in my opinion, (laughs) is absolutely worth submitting your entire life to, submitting your subjectivities for his objective reign and rule, for his objective and clear word for you and for your life, for his objective gift of eternal life into the future. And that's ultimately all we're trying to do is to follow this king in this way for his glory and for our joy, and we would invite you into that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, Lord, grateful to be gathered together as your people called by your name. Lord, again, we know, Father, that apart from your Spirit, we are incapable of walking this fine line of loving a broken world that in so many ways mirrors our own brokenness, while at the same time walking in righteousness and holiness and godly living before you in the watching world. How easy it is to stumble. How many times I myself have stumbled, Lord. And yet this morning with faith, we pray that you would keep us from stumbling. That you would present us before yourself blameless, with great joy. We believe, Father, that what you promise comes to pass. And so we pray in faith that that is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.